This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Thanks for joining us for the legislature today. I'm Curtis Tate, and happy Leap Day. Last evening, the Senate passed a bill that would reduce overall unemployment benefits, but increase initial benefits, and a bill that would affect transgender youth in the state. Brianna Heaney has the story. Senate bills 840 and 841 would have steeply cut unemployment benefits. Those bills were combined and amended, and for the most part, gutted with a new amendment. The amended bill that passed the Senate shaves two weeks off the current 26 weeks of unemployment benefits available to workers who have lost their job due to no fault of their own. The bill would also allow people to work part-time while receiving unemployment. They would receive reduced benefits while working. Under this amended bill, the benefits are front-loaded and taper off as time goes on. It increases the initial benefit to up to $712 per week, or 70% of the original wage, for the first four weeks of unemployment. That's up from 624 per week and 65% of the wage. However, after those first four weeks, the benefit decreases by 5% of the original wage, or max benefits. For example, on week five, the benefit would be 65%, and on the ninth week, it would be 60%. On week 20 through week 24, the last weeks of the available benefit, unemployed people would receive 45% of their original benefit. The West Virginia Center on Budget and Policy said that the average time an unemployed person collects benefits in the state is 13 weeks. Senator Eric Nelson, a Republican from Kanawha County, said that this bill would benefit the average unemployed person because they would collect that initial larger benefit. The bill also requires that employers contribute more to the unemployment insurance fund. The average wage of those on the unemployed basis is roughly $35,000. And so currently, over that 14-week period, they would receive $5,166. Under the proposed method, they would receive $5,991. It's an increase of $800. However, Josh Sword, West Virginia AFL-CIO president, says the bill would cost some West Virginians who use the full duration of the benefit thousands of dollars in unemployment benefits. As it stands now, compared to the bill that was adopted in the Senate last night, we know that individual is going to receive about $4,000 less in benefits than they would today. So that's concerning. Senator Mike Caputo, a Democrat from Marion County, said he understands the need for the bill, but wanted more time to work out the details and bring stakeholders like businesses and labor unions to the table to talk about the bill. But I don't think it should be done in the 11th hour. I think it's bad, bad government to do this. I think it sends a horrible message to our workers. 
Senate Bill 601, known as the Women's Bill of Rights, replaces the word gender in the state code with the word sex and could limit transgender access to bathrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identity. The bill sparked some debate after Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, and Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County, amended the bill with language so that it complies with federal law. Senator Laura Chapman, a Republican from Ohio County, then introduced an amendment that would gut Trump and Rucker's amendments, removing federal law language, which Rucker supported. To me, I believe that putting that in there is basically questioning whether or not we really mean what we say. Are we really making a statement with this law that we are agreeing? These are the definitions that we are going to be using and understanding when it comes to state code. Trump questioned Rucker about the amendment and the legal basis for it. Have you considered whether or not it might be necessary or useful or beneficial to put people on notice that there may be federal law on the subject? The amendment passed 19-4 and 12 against. Both bills head to the House for consideration. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Global partnerships and international politics took center stage in the House of Delegates today, along with the continuing legislative effort to address the mental health crisis among the state's first responders. Randy Yohe has the story. West Virginia looks forward to enhancing educational exchanges and cooperation with Taiwan, and whereas Taiwan has proven to be a vital role in regional geopolitics and a Stepping down from his podium, Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, read House Resolution 9, reaffirming the long-standing sisterhood partnership between West Virginia and Taiwan. The state and the now embattled Asian nation have worked together as trade and cultural partners since 1980. Taiwan delegation member Robin Chang spoke of the West Virginia-Taiwan relationship through trade, economic ties, and cooperation in education and related fields, including a united stand supporting global democracy. Even as our democracy thrives, the people of Taiwan continue to face harassment and aggression from our neighbor across Taiwan Strait. That is why it has been so encouraging and important for the 23 million Taiwanese people to have received the strong support of our friends here in West Virginia and the United States. Delegates on a recent mission to Taiwan talked to me about the similar hill and hollow topography that West Virginia and Taiwan have. But they said they were getting 5G broadband coverage there everywhere, that their bridges and tunnels and rail infrastructure was exemplary. So now our legislators are taking a look at Taiwan's laws and regulations to see how West Virginia can match up. Hanshaw says it's a win-win situation to maintain strong relations with a country fighting to remain independent and free. So Taiwan's a democratic organ, it's a democratic country. And when we talk about growing and cultivating export markets for West Virginia's businesses and creating new opportunities to, to grow our state's economy, we know that the export market's how we're going to do that. And if we want to do business in Asia, we want to do business with people whose values reflect our own. As the legislation passed on third reading yesterday, House Bill 5241 requires the insurance commissioner to audit PEIA claims for the treatment of PTSD of first responders and then file an annual report. 
The state EMS department is among many working to address mental health issues among first responders. Delegate Heather Tully, a Republican from Nicholas County, sponsored the audit bill. After first responders from her county and elsewhere said their PEIA insurance mental health claims were consistently rejected. A lot of times in PEIA, they seem to be denied or they are delayed. So as a result of this, we wanted to make sure the insurance commissioner had no oversight over PEIA claims related to this whatsoever, unlike the insurance commissioner being able to audit private insurance. The first responder PTSD audit bill passed the House 90 to nothing and was sent to the Senate. A bill allowing suspended school employees to attend public functions at schools has now passed both education committees. Chris Schultz has more. House Bill 5650 states that a suspended employee may not be barred from attending public events on school property or from conducting parental functions while serving the suspension. Since its introduction in the House, the bill has caused some confusion amongst lawmakers. As expressed Thursday by Senator Charles H. Clemens, a Republican from Wetzel County, questioning Senate Education Committee Counsel Hank Hager. Hank, who are these suspended people? Are they employees, teachers? Who, who would they be? Uh, yeah, that's correct. These would be uh, suspended employees. For what reason would they maybe be suspended? Um, I guess for any type of uh, uh, disciplinary matter that... Um, Actually, the section uh, specifies, I think, reasons that they can be suspended or dismissed. Uh, immorality, incompetence, cruelty, insubordination, intemperance, intemperance, willful neglect of duty, unsatisfactory performance, uh, or finding of abuse, uh, conviction of a misdemeanor, conviction of a felony. There's are pretty much the reasons why they might be suspended. Initial discussion of the bill in the House expressed concern that those suspended for violent or criminal reasons would pose not only a liability, but also a threat if allowed on school property during a suspension. Delegate Mike Hornby, a Republican from Berkeley County, explained those types of infractions would not be in line with the intent of the bill, which he outlined when it was in front of the House Education Committee. We have had a case in West Virginia where this happened, and this law was specifically written because this happened to an employee who either willfully or didn't willfully leave a child on a bus for a couple of minutes. So that employee was suspended, that in suspension was probably warranted, but she had she or he had a child and couldn't pick up the, his or her child from school. So I strongly support this bill and I urge passage. The engrossed version of the bill creates an exception to the allowance if the conduct underlying the suspension presents a danger of disruption, disorder, or threat to public safety or to the learning process. An amendment extending the exception to, among other things, avoid violating court orders or prejudicing investigations was approved by the Senate Education Committee and the bill was recommended to the full Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. Today was Arts Day at the Capitol, a day when artists and organizations gathered in the rotunda to spread the word on a variety of arts in West Virginia. Landon Mitchell has the story. Today, the Capitol hallways were filled with more than legislation. They were filled with music, culture, and art. Randall Reed Smith, the secretary of the West Virginia Department of Arts, Culture, and History, wants patrons and legislators to realize the importance of the arts to West Virginia culture. So I think the greatest thing about Arts Day, it brings all facets of the arts together. They get an opportunity to see their legislators and they get to educate 
the legislators on the importance of funding the arts because what we do is we touch all 55 counties with all art forms. The West Virginia Humanities Council celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. State folklorist Jenny Williams hopes that artists and artisans can find the networking and help that they are looking for. Arts Day is an exciting day for us because we get to run into a lot of friends and organizations that we support. I think anyone who's attending Arts Day will learn a lot about what kinds of organizations exist in West Virginia that can help promote their arts projects. Independent artists are here as well, such as Nancy Payton. Payton is part owner of The Hive a new gallery that opened in downtown Logan last month and is owned and operated by a collective of independent artists. So finding that support and seeing how many people do enjoy the art and support it across the state, it's just an important thing for us to see and it's kind of encouraging to see, especially because sometimes small art galleries, we think, you know, they don't have a place in West Virginia or in Southern West Virginia specifically, but they really do. Other entities on display include the Clay Center, the West Virginia Music Hall of Fame, and Theater West Virginia. For the Legislature Today, I'm Landon Mitchell in Charleston. Randy Yoey, Emily Rice, and our newest reporter, Jack Walker, sat down in the studio to discuss some of the legislation that has moved this week. Just a little more than a week left for this 2024 regular legislative session and there's a lot of bills to break down. We're going to talk about a few of them with our health reporter Emily Rice and our reporter from Morgantown, Jack Walker, who was here this week uh, working on the legislature. It, it's a heck of a thing to work on right off the bat, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Emily, let's start with you. Uh, much of this debate about the gender-affirming care bill. Uh, first of all, what is gender-affirming care? So gender-affirming care is when someone identifies as a different gender than they were assigned at birth and seeks hormonal either puberty blockers or um, other treatments to stop puberty and turn it another direction. And um, that treatment is often seen as a anti-suicidal uh, mechanism for kids that do have this um, gender dysphoria. So the bill that passed through the House yesterday and went to the Senate, what is it and what does it do? So it um, removes what was put in a bill last year. So last year um, they banned gender affirming care for minors, so under 18, um, with exceptions for, um, ex exceptions for severe medical conditions. Now that exception is still in this bill, but it's as long as they do not go toward gender transition. So the bill says the physician may not provide irreversible gender reassignment surgery or gender altering medication for the purpose of assisting an individual with the gender transition uh, to anyone under the age of 18. And um, something else to note is that a lot of physicians um, told legislators at least last year that gender reassignment surgery under 18 is something that doesn't happen as an actuality. And I know this was kind of a party line bill. Basically, Democrats voted against it, Republicans voted for it. I think Delegate Wisenreed from um, Montague County may have voted alongside of the Democrats. But mm -hmm. Democrats put letters on everybody's desk from 400 doctors, so they said, that said that these this medications, these puberty blockers, were actually valid in helping uh, 
delay, not delay, helping avoid suicides, avoid suicidal tendencies among these young people, these minors that may be wrestling with this whole situation. Yeah. And Democrats put forth um, an amendment to uh, grandfather in minors who are already undergoing such treatments and make the treatments and puberty blocking medication necessary for suicidal patients, but both of those amendments did fail on the floor. So now it's off to the Senate? Yes. Okay. Jack, uh, along the same lines, the uh, national implications now is overriding the Baby Olivia Bill. First of all, tell us what that's about. Right, so Senate Bill 468 is also known as the Baby Olivia Bill, and essentially it requires 8th and 11th graders in West Virginia uh, to watch a four-minute animated feature um, that shares some ideas about um, pro-life uh, perceptions of conception and pregnancy. Um, and it kind of walks through the stages of um, embryo development through a pro-life lens. It's created by a explicitly pro-life nonprofit called Live Action. And similar bills have been proposed so far in Iowa, Missouri, and Kentucky. So that kind of goes to the national implications you were referring to. Um, but so far, it's been a pretty hotly contested bill, uh, both in the Senate and presumably soon in the House. Now, the, the Senate Majority Leader, Dr. Tom Takubo, is a doctor. He was against it. Right, so um, Senator Takubo, from, a Republican from Kanawha County, he uh, expressed concerns over the medical information uh, contained in the video. He, as you said, is a practicing physician, and he essentially said that the uh, language, the graphics uh, included in the video weren't considered medically accurate and therefore shouldn't be shared in an educational setting. So this now has gone to the House to, to be debated. So let me talk a little bit about a bill yesterday the parents bill of rights and it relates to both of these bills as well because you're jack you're talking about uh something that to be seen by grade schoolers by what what, what grade was eighth and eighth and eleventh eighth yep. and eleventh and you're talking about children under 18 and what's going to happen with parental rights so these parental rights are are being restricted in some way by both of your bills if you're looking at the big picture well overall this bill 4313 created a parents bill of rights regarding education and the bill just goes down the list it allows parents to direct the education and care of the child let's say that again just to direct the education and care and care of the child that has long been the job of the state board of education the county boards of education the principals the teachers the educational process which we dealt with for decades this this changes that it also uh, deals to apply to enroll the child in any educational setting we've seen that with the opening of, of, of all the school choice and then access to school records by the parents and being able to sue somebody if you don't like what they decided what what the people are saying that that didn't like this bill was again mostly democrat and republican uh, it, it takes away what we have our schools here to do, what, the way the schools are, are supposed to be aligned. And, uh, and it, it didn't even say if you're going to sue somebody because they're not going along with these parental rights, who is it? Who would it be? Would it be a, an assistant in a teacher's room? Would it be a custodian? Uh, the bill was kind of nebulous in that regard. I mean, I know you guys heard a little bit about that. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, from the Baby Olivia bill perspective, one central concern is also that um, the bill, and also through an amendment that was passed by some of the senators, uh, it explicitly states that life begins at conception, which is, a, again, a pretty contested belief, um, especially among certain religious sects. I, uh, the Jewish community, for example, um, it's pretty widely believed that life begins at, quote-unquote, first breath. So um, that's an example of something that, I guess, is pretty um, 
hotly contested, but uh, parents are actually not able to opt their children out of these teachings. So essentially, it is mandating that uh, students learn about life beginning at conception without parental consent. Should be some still continuing interesting debate on both of these subjects. Um, vaccines. I mean, we've been talking about these for a couple of years now, and vaccines are still within the legislative prowess. So there were a lot of bills introduced this session regarding uh, vaccines. There were a lot um, put forth about vaccine injuries. Not a lot of those made it. I don't think any of those made it through Crossover Day, actually. But uh, House Bill 5105 would remove vaccine requirements for private, parochial, and virtual schools in West Virginia. Um, but it also would allow people to exempt their child from vaccination because of religious beliefs. The bill narrowly passed the House of Delegates on Monday following a vote of 57 to 41. Uh, two lawmakers didn't vote. But there was a lot of debate on the floor about um, vaccines in general. And a lot of lawmakers felt, a lot of Democratic lawmakers felt that we as a society have forgotten how bad mumps, measles, polio may have been because it's been essentially eradicated. Um, and touted the vaccination rates of West Virginia school children um, as some that other states may aspire to. Now, from the other side, uh, high vac vaccination rates might not be a good thing if you're not looking at it from that lens. So, um, That bill started out as just uh, not requiring vaccines for virtual students, mm -hmm. which everybody thought Made, made okay sense. They're not going to be in the public. There's not going to be physical contact or something, something like that. Then those amendments tacked on the rest of yeah. the schools and then anybody with religious beliefs. I guess 45 states now have some sort of uh, a, a, a law against vaccination with religious belief. We're in the minority of just five, but we also lead the nation in vaccination rates and those uh, diseases like you mentioned, mumps and measles, that, that go along with it. We're better than anybody else in that regard. So uh, there's a big rub there as well. There are um, outbreaks that have been noted in Ohio and Florida. Um, there's one in Florida in particular where five elementary students um, had a measles outbreak. Um, and lawmakers are afraid that a few years down the line we could see that. Now some argue that parents that are going to vaccinate will vaccinate whether or not it's the law. Um, others argue that um, the cost of care, if we were to have some kind of outbreak um, of polio, measles, mumps, um, that the cost to public health would be, I forget the exact numbers, but pretty astronomical. Jack, over the past couple of months, uh, past year or so, both of our U.S. attorneys, Northern and Southern District of West Virginia, have held human trafficking seminars. We're finding out that this isn't, isn't something that just happens in the border or California or Chicago, uh, but West Virginia as well. Human trafficking is also on the legislative slate, is it not? Absolutely, Randy. So uh, another bill under uh, discussion right now is House Bill 5031. And it basically pertains to human smuggling, uh, excuse me, human smuggling, and specifically the human smuggling of quote unquote illegal aliens, as the bill refers to them, or undocumented immigrants. Um, essentially, it states that it's illegal to house or transport um, undocumented immigrants in the state of West Virginia. Um, and this was something that you know received approval on the House on Monday, but again had some pushback, especially from Democrat lawmakers who raised some concerns over the bill. So, what it does, if you're transporting a undocumented immigrant or illegal alien, as it says in the bill, 
and you're taking them through West Virginia but not stopping, you're not responsible as the driver of the vehicle? So I think you touch on one of the central concerns that people had, which was that, um, for example, uh, taxi or rideshare services, if we're speaking to transporting an individual, um, say that you're you know, driving someone in an Uber and you find out about their immigration status and that they're undocumented, um, are you expected to just pull over on the side of the road and kick them out of the car? Um, what's the proper you know, decorum there? Um, there were a lot of questions about that and um, ultimately Democrat lawmakers, uh, I think for those purposes, couldn't back the bill. So. Interesting, very, very interesting. Another bill that I, I had been watching was House Bill 4822, again on economic development, a big push in West Virginia. And this offers micro grants to communities, uh, raising the limit of the grant from $25,000 to $75,000. So you apply for this for site readiness. What we've heard is that you want to get flat land, you want to get the infrastructure in, that's the way we want to bring in these new businesses that are coming in. Uh, so, but whoever decides on who gets the grants is the Department of Economic Development. Now, some delegates from the coal fields said, wait a minute, you guys have been forgetting about us all the way along. You know, when you're looking for site development, you're looking at uh, along the river or in the panhandle, you're not taking it to us down to the coal fields that, that we, we're voting against this because you're going to ignore us once again. Well, Delegate Clay Riley from up in Harrison County said, no, wait a minute. He said, these are going to be fair, these are geared towards small communities that want to bring somebody in, that, that, that needs $75,000 to lay that water and sewer down, to get those fire hydrants in and so on and so forth. So there was a debate there on trust more than anything else, do we trust the Department of Economic Development to not just try to bring in these foreign energies and new cores and such. And so I thought that was, that was pretty interesting as well on where that goes. Um, we won't have much time left. We're going to be kind of monitoring these. We got what, six, seven days left? Yep. Sounds like, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, uh, Emily and Jack, thanks for being here today. This is what we've been breaking down for quite a while now. So uh, what we're going to be talking about here in the next few days is the budget because it passed through the, the uh, Senate yesterday. The House is going to be working on that. That's the big elephant in the room from now on is, is the budget will it stay flat what's going to happen remember last year was was PEIA and and income tax so we're going to keep a close eye on that as well uh, so thanks for joining us and back to you I'm Curtis Tate for everyone here at WVPB thanks for joining us and have a great evening Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.